everybody, and welcome to the Total Soccer Show. I'm your host, Taylor Rockwell. Daryl Grove is not with me. He is instead in Boston. Uh, he will be back with me in Germany later on this week. Speaking of Germany, that's what today's show is going to be about. I am talking to Matt Herman of the Talking Foosball podcast. He makes his return. He helped us preview the Bundesliga season back in August, I believe. He is now back with us nine weeks in to give an update on how things have gone so far. Looking at the top of the table, how Borussia Mönchengladbach have managed to take that top spot, but then also the issues currently faced by Bayern Munich and Borussia Dortmund. That's a lengthy conversation. We update Americans abroad and who's doing well, including uh, Weston McKinney at Schalke, Tyler Adams at RB Leipzig, and John Brooks at Wolfsburg. And then we talk a little bit about Daryl and I's trip and some of the teams we're going to be seeing and why those games are going to be of interest uh, to you and also for us, of course. Uh, Lots of great content in there. Matt is always wonderful. He brings the knowledge. He corrects my knowledge, or lack thereof, when the situation requires. That happens a couple times. And that's why I like having Matt on, because experts know things and help me feel better about not knowing things, because then I do know those things. I think all that made sense. Uh, But given that we've reached the point where I ramble in the introduction, I will stop with that and instead say... With me now, once again, returning to the Total Soccer Show, is Mr. Matt Herman of the Talking Foosball Podcast. Matt, thank you very much for taking the time once again. I love how my my, my mister has been appended not only to my Twitter name, but to my name on the show. Of course. Show. Just, oh, yes. It sort of happened. Yes. I mean, well, we, we're all about formality here. We want to make sure you get your proper title and proper respect. All right. Full Windsor knots all around. <laughs> Perfect. You know the style. In fact, I have my tie on. I'm wearing a t-shirt, but with a tie on, just because that's how formal you and I tend to be. Awesome. I'm sure you've been watching uh, Great British Bake Off then, because uh, that's <laughs> great from their, their playbook this past week. Yeah, right? Like, why would you still go tie when it's like 105 degrees outside? That that one seems a bit much for me. At least, at least loosen the necktie a little bit. I know, I know. He had to be eliminated for that reason alone. There we go. Uh, spoiler alert for Great British Baking Show. We do apologize, but not really, because <laughs> you should be caught up on that, because why aren't you caught up on that? Uh, but we are not here to talk British baking. We could probably do that, and I would love to hear your like analysis of all the bakers and what they're doing. I feel like you'd be good at that. But instead, we're going to talk Bundesliga. Uh, we, we've got a lot to cap- catch up on, nine games in. Uh, through those first nine games, Matt, which teams have impressed you in the best possible way, and which teams have maybe stood out in the worst possible way? Oh, I mean, I, I figured we really don't have to look any farther than than uh, Borussia Mönchengladbach mm-hmm. in terms of who's impressed me the most. I mean, I'm really surprised that they are top of the league. And and you know, when it, when I look at like my sort of preseason predictions, I really didn't know which way things were going to go. Uh, they have a new coach, of course. They have sort of a new style. It was pretty unclear whether that was going to take right away, and you know, it didn't take long at all. They're playing really well. They pretty much deserve to be top right now because there's been a lot of inconsistency uh, at just about every other club. And uh, yeah, they're, they're, they're the best in the league at the moment. And how have they managed to start so strongly and managed to keep it going? And while we're on the subject, can you also say their manager's name? Because I feel like I will mispronounce it if I do, if I do so. Oh yeah, it's 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 real simple. Just Marco Rosa. 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 Yeah. Okay, cool. Not yeah. Rose. Not Marco Rose. Rosa. Yeah, you know, every single syllable must be pronounced in German. <laughs> there, are, you know, you can't just get away with these silent letters at the end of a word. <laughs> All right, that's good to know. That's good to know. We are going to Germany, so I'll have to remember that one. Um, oh, sweet. Yeah, yeah, we're we're heading there at the, at the end of this week. In fact, to see some uh, some Dusseldorf, uh, Frankfurt, and. Uh, I think that way, no, is that, no, it's, it's, excuse me, Frankfurt, Bayern Munich, Dusseldorf, Köln is who we're going to see. Oh my God, Dusseldorf, Köln, that's going to be a great, that's a, that's a real, a real regional derby. Oh, is it? I, I have done atmosphere. zero research on that. So we're going to go back to it later because I want to know all about it. But first, I awesome. wanted to ask you about Gladbach. Yeah. How have they managed to get this strong start underway? Well, I feel like they have, um, they've basically, added very, very intelligently to the squad that they already had. I mean, even last season, Gladbach was, you know, a, quite a good team who were in some ways unlucky to miss out on on Champions League football. Um, they were up in the top four for a lot of the season and, and sort of things were starting to come together for them already. And uh, the people who they added over the summer, guys like uh, Marcus Thuram and uh, Stefan Leiner, and uh, they brought back their their loney Laszlo Benesch, who, you know, had really disappointed in his original stint at the club, but sort of has seem to seem to have matured. And for some reason, not only have the new guys uh, hit the ground running, but they seem to have really taken to to the new style of the club. Um, the old coach, Tita Hecking, 
played a pretty slow buildup, or that was sort of his preferred style, which, you know, they had the technicians to make that work. But that's really not necessarily like where the modern Bundesliga is at. That's not necessarily going to be a, you know, league winning or even Champions League qualifying style. And Marco Rosa, who had had so much success at, um, you know, RB Salzburg, definitely wanted to play a lot more vertically. He brought in some, you know, both of the the, the new forwards that they brought in, Marcus Turam and uh, Briel Embolo, are very fast. And they just cause a lot of problems for a lot of teams' back lines. They just put a lot of pressure on them, and they get themselves into dangerous positions a lot. Um, it's not all there yet. I mean, I think that um, they probably are going to have a bumpy ride coming up because they have some some fairly tough matches. They have a lot of guys who are injured. Of course, they have Europa League to contend with. But, you know, I feel very confident about them right now. I'm, I'm, I'm really pleased because it's nice to see another team other than, you know, especially Bayern and to a lesser extent Dortmund do so well. Yeah. Um, uh, despite Serginho Dest deciding he's going to play for the United States, I still have my woo-hoo. American anxieties. But yes, woohoo indeed. Woohoo indeed. Uh, so a few of these questions about uh, various teams in the league are going to be sort of American-centric. Here's the first one. Fabian Johnson has only managed, I believe, three appearances in the league so far this season. He's 31, says he still has aspirations to play for the national team. Do you think he needs a move? Um, and do you think he should still be getting looks with the U.S. men's national team based on what you have seen from him so far this season? Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, he doesn't play all that much. Uh, That's in part because they have a pretty big, deep squad, in part because he's had some, you know, I think he's got a groin uh, issue Mm -hmm. at the moment, which has sort of kept him on the sidelines. But I truthfully think for a player of that age, um, it's probably okay to go you know, and play, I don't know, 25 games a season or something like that, if, if you're lucky. Because you're just going to stay a lot fresher that way. You're going to probably avoid a few extra injuries. And I don't, I'm not sure whether that's harming his status with Greg Berhalter. I, I don't really even know where Greg Berhalter's head is at mm. with, with Fabian Johnson. I'm, I'm sure that he has some reason or other why he hasn't called him in by now. Um, I guess he's, you know, he's not part of the group yet. Mm -hmm. Um, But I definitely think in just in terms of pure talent and pure, you know, I don't know, just sort of what he might bring to the table. He's definitely worth a look. I mean, it it makes no sense to me that, that he hasn't been at least given a sort of a try just because, you know, this is a guy who's, who's played in a lot of different situations under a lot of different coaches. He's probably going to be one of those guys who will pick up whatever system Berhalter wants to play quicker than a lot of guys. And, you know, even if he doesn't play a lot, he can be there as like a, a leader and teacher. And for you personally, would you like to see him played for the U.S. like on like left wing as a more attacking spot? Would you like to see him played in defense? Where, where would he fit in for you? Oh, I mean, I guess now that we have Dest on board, um, and I guess woo-hoo. the idea is to woo. I guess <laughs> the idea is to play him him at the back and play play him as a as a sort of an attacking yeah. fullback. Um, I know Berhalter only likes to have one attacking fullback at a time. Uh, or typically, so it it probably would make sense to play him uh, in in midfield or on the wing as an attacking winger. Um, I think he's another player who just basically has the talent to play on either wing at the back or attacking. He's better than most of the guys we have. So uh, going back to Marco Rosa for a moment, the manager of uh, Borussia Mönchengladbach, uh, he's only been there for a few months now. Uh, I'm wondering how long you think it is until uh, Bayern Munich or Borussia Dortmund come calling for him, uh, which is, I guess, my way of saying uh, it seems like they are sort of neither one of those two clubs are particularly happy with their current managers. They're not unhappy, but they're not in love with them is the vibe I'm getting. And so I guess my question is what Rosa is doing at Gladbach. Do you think that would appeal to the boards of Bayern or Dortmund or does like sitting back being a bit more defensive counterattacking does that not uh, appeal so much huh um i'm not sure that you're characterizing what they're doing uh, entirely correctly okay. I, don't, I don't think that they're sitting back and counteract uh, counterattacking so much as they are playing a, a very like sort of speed proactive style a style okay. that is is based on sort of you know playing early balls to quick guys to take on players uh, uh, quickly. I mean, it, it's kind of, it, it's very much the Red Bull style. It's this, the style that sort of we have seen in past years from RB Leipzig that we have seen, uh, you know, under, under Rosa at uh, Salzburg. And I don't think that's the kind of style that like you're ever going to be sort of, um, you know, brought to book for playing. I mean, maybe at Bayern where you have a lot of sort of, 
bigger egos and you might have some attacking players who are not all that interested in pressing it might be difficult to implement but i think certainly at dortmund it would be a style that that you know would be familiar in some ways it would be going back to elements of of klopp's style um and and that certainly brought the fans in and made people happy and 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 won things um just when it comes to the sort of specifics of the situation right now for for dortmund and bayern i think it would be pretty hard for him to you know catapult into either of those teams um anytime soon i mean you know if he wins the league this year which woohoo that would be really interesting and, and a fun story for that to happen um i could see it perhaps if if that were to happen uh because you know gladbach is a club that has proved over the past several years that they're a club that can attract some good players but you know they can't attract the tip top players that that dortmund and bayern can and so i, I can see how that kind of um, squad and, and the kind of money that either one of those um, clubs would want to pay him might be appealing. But really, I feel like he is probably destined to be at, at Gladbach for a few years. And he's probably destined to be a coach who gets a chance to build something. And in a lot of ways, I feel like this move that um, Max Abel, the uh, sporting director at Gladbach, made um, – to, to get rid of Dieter Hecking despite the fact that he was in a European place and bring on this this exciting new coach is a lot of – in a lot of ways like it, it strikes me as the kind of move that Dortmund made bringing in Klopp. I mean the situation is very different but I think this was a, a moment where the club thought to themselves, all right, this is the guy. I don't care what our situation is. We need to have this guy and they are just basically putting all their chips in on what was it and, and saying you know that we think that he is either going to – you know, win a, a title for us, or he's going to at least take us into the Champions League consistently. And, you know, early returns are good. We'll see how it looks after 34 games. Would you agree uh, that Borussia Dortmund and Bayern Munich maybe are less inclined to push all of their chips in when it comes to their current managers? Oh, completely. <laughs> okay. I think that, I think that um, both on the sort of fan level and the boardroom level, there are definitely sort of rumblings of of pretty serious dissatisfaction, um, mostly in that that these two teams have sort of played such inconsistent football um, <clears throat> all season long. It's been sort of an up and down ride. They've dropped points in weird um, junctures. They've sort of, you know, lost to teams that they have no business losing to. I mean, you know, Dortmund lost to Union Berlin of all clubs. Um, Bayern have lost to Hoffenheim. I've drawn uh, Augsburg. It's not a good look results-wise, but in some ways it's an even worse look form-wise. I mean, there's been plenty of, of games this season where it just looked like both Niko Kovac and Lucien Favre don't have a clear plan of what they want their teams to do. Or if they do have a clear plan, it's a very unattractive clear plan, which is to say, oh, we got a lead. Let's just sit on it and see what happens. Um, I would not be surprised at all if um, – you know, if we got to say the winter break and one of these two teams were like in <clears throat> fourth or fifth place, which I think is a definite possibility, uh, I would not be surprised to see one of the two guys uh, get fired. Let, let's stick with Bayern Munich then uh, for a moment. Uh, if it were to be uh, Kovac who departs this January, what type of manager do you think they look to to replace him? Because it, I, I read a few different things that made it sound <laughs> like the players were starting to have a bit of nostalgia for the days of Pep Guardiola. But then I also remember, remember moments of him not necessarily being as popular or being kind of rigid and obviously demanding a lot of his players. So I doubt they're going to be getting Pep again. But who do you think they might go after or what style of manager might they go after? Uh, that's really tricky, actually, because there are not a lot of – like bold-faced, super attractive names um, on the market at the moment. Um, I, I definitely think you're right that that um, there is a serious nostalgia for Pep Guardiola at Bayern, not only because he sort of raised their profile globally. I mean, Bayern is a club that really likes to see itself as, as you know, on par or close to it with like the two big Spanish clubs. And I mean, in, in terms of like success in Europe, they're probably a, a cut below those two, but not as far as you might think. Um, and, and attracting a manager of, of the quality and sort of reputation of Pep Guardiola was a really, really big ego boost for uh, Bayern Munich. And this is a club with a huge ego. Um, so in a way, just the very fact that they hired 
um, Niko Kovac, who was let's let's put it, you know, pretty realistically, he was a he was a successful but not outlandishly successful Bundesliga mm-hmm. coach, and to stick with him for you know a season and now maybe another half season or another whole season. In a lot of ways, this is already something of a come down for a club like Bayern. Um, they think of themselves as a destination club, and the fact that they couldn't really line up anybody sort of bigger or better than um, Niko Kovac, I think, nags at both the uh, the management of this club and the fans of this club. Um, <clears throat> I think when it comes to like the kind of coach that they would want, they probably would want somebody who is known for um, tactical innovation or a certain inspirational style. I mean, as you said, the clubs are, are sorry, the players at Bayern did live with a lot of sort of, you know, uh, highly detailed instruction from Pep Guardiola, but from what I could tell, almost all of the players took to it really well. Even guys who were really experienced and probably at, at times would have thought to themselves, okay, okay, I know how to play football at this point. Actually, you know, you talk to guys like, you know, Aryan Robin, and they'll give quotes like, you know, he's he was an amazing coach. I learned a lot. I, I became an even better player under him. And I feel like the ideal situation for uh, a club like Bayern is to, is to attract somebody who already has both a reputation for tactical innovation and some success, either a title or a Champions League final appearance, something like that, uh, that, that would sort of put them on the pedestal that they think that they should be on. I don't know who that would be mm-hmm. unless maybe maybe if Pochettino gets fired, maybe they would they would take a pretty hard look at him. I think you meant to say Jose Mourinho, but we'll let it slide. That's fine. <laughs> um, uh, this is kind of a strange question because we're talking about Bayern Munich. But like for you, how desirable do you think that job is? Because on the surface, it's a massive club uh, with you know a record of success. And yet, if you're going in there, there is an immediate expectation that you will win the league and that you will do so in a like convincing style playing attractive soccer. And it, it does seem like it doesn't lend itself to managers who haven't established that reputation because by all the Counts the kind of feeling uh, around Kovac in that locker room is sort of like, yeah, but like, eh, you're not really quite that level where we really think that you're going to push us to that next kind of level in terms of playing in the Bundesliga, playing in the Champions League. So it makes me wonder if it is sort of a very difficult task that a manager might undertake when getting hired by Bayern Munich. Yeah, it, it is a difficult task. I mean, I feel like any job at that level, whether it's, um, you know, Bayern or, or one of the two big clubs in Spain or perhaps Juventus or City, Liverpool these days, um, the expectation is that you not only, you know, win every game, but you win like you throttle the other the other mm-hmm. team. Um, and, and everyone knows in their, you know, in their heart of heart that, that those are unrealistic expectations. But there's sort of this this feeling at clubs like that where, you know, they want to be unstoppable and they want a coach who can sort of, you know, reinforce that feeling of unstoppability. Um, <clears throat> I feel like at the same time, just because of the way the Bundesliga has been over the past several years, especially compared to La Liga or the EPL, um, it's been an easier ride for Bayern coaches than for for you know, coaches in those other two leagues because the the rivals have not been as strong. Um, that might be changing. I feel like you know, at least in terms of of, of ambition and, and and the kinds of players they can attract. Attract Dortmund has become a bit more ambitious in the last couple of years. We're looking at um, some pretty serious development at Leipzig and perhaps at, at Gladbach as well. Um, it's only going to get harder, mm-hmm. but at the same time, I feel like. If you are an ambitious coach who thinks uh, highly of of themselves, it's a hugely attractive job too. I mean, because you basically have this seat on the top of the pecking order in the entire Bundesliga. Anytime any player at any other club starts to play well for you know half of a season, the rumor mill starts up that he's going to Bayern, and very you know a, a really large percentage of the time they do end up there. And the kinds of, of, you know, the resources you have at your disposal at, at Bayern, as well as just the sort of sheer competence at, uh, you know, every other level of the club. I mean, this is one of those clubs where basically you don't have to do anything but coach. You don't have to worry about um, very much in the way of, of, you know, purchasing or, you know, playing style. You can basically just, you can just coach the players. And if, if you are successful, people love you. 
Hey, folks, much more still to come from my conversation with Matt Herman of the Talking Foosball podcast. Uh, we're going to talk all things Bundesliga, uh, as we have been and will continue to be. Uh, but first, I wanted to let you know about today's sponsor, our friends over at Fubo, Fubo TV, the best app for streaming soccer. It's the only soccer-focused TV streaming service with the obvious channels like FS1, FS2, NBC Sports, BN Sports, but there's also TUDN, Universo, 11, Goal TV, etc., etc., etc. You have the Cloud DVR feature, which is, allows you to store up to 500 hours, uh, but if you fill that up, there's the 72-hour rewatch feature that Daryl and I have talked about previously, where if the game's been on, if it was a Friday night kickoff, you didn't have time to watch it Friday, you didn't get to it Saturday, but you want to watch it Sunday, it will still be there on demand for you to stream. Speaking of weekend soccer, there are plenty of games to keep an eye on this weekend, some of which we'll probably be mentioning on the weekend review. Uh, Saturday, we've got 10.30 a.m., Dortmund v. Wolfsburg uh, on Fox Sports 2. That is a battle of like the top half teams, Dortmund in fifth, Wolfsburg ahead of them. We'll see if that lasts. Then Saturday afternoon, 1.20 p.m., we've got Sevilla v. Atletico Madrid on BN Sports. 6.50 p.m., the Netherlands hosting the United States on FS2 slash NBC Universo. That's the U-17 World Cup. Hopefully things have improved for the United States states in that regard. 11 p.m. Saturday, uh, Nakaksa versus Pachuca on TUDN, TUDN, TUDN Extra 2. That's the top of the table, Nakaksa, featuring Ventura Alvarado, the uh, American center back, who is the captain of the top-ranked side in Mexico. On Sunday, 9.30 a.m., Dusseldorf v. Cologne. Uh, Matt and I are going to be talking about that game a little bit later on in the show. That's on FS1 slash TUDN. Daryl and I will be at that game, so if you want to watch it and be with us in spirit, you can be. And then obviously at 11.30 a.m. on Sunday, Sunday, Everton v. Tottenham on NBC Sports and Telemundo. A big one there for both of those teams who have not had the season they would have liked so far. Maybe they get things going this Sunday. All of those games you can find on Fubo TV. If you do not yet have a Fubo subscription, you can get $10 off your first three months of Fubo TV by going to Fubo TV. FUBOTV.com slash TSS. One more time, that's FUBOTV.com slash TSS to get $10 off your first month of FUBOTV. Thank you very much to FUBO for sponsoring today's episode. Now back to my chat with Matt Herman. I mean, we're still talking about a Bayern Munich team that are, I believe, second in the table right now, one point behind leaders Gladbach. And if you do become that coach, if you're inheriting Bayern Munich, you're inheriting Robert Lewandowski, who is in the probably like the best form of his career or close to it. Um, what, what do you make of his form? How has he been able to kind of reach this level where he is, I think, double, like more than double uh, second place in goal scoring in the Bundesliga right now, I think Timo Werner has six. I think Lewandowski has 13. I'm assuming this is sort of the case of he is doing this uh, in spite of uh, Niko Kovac and not necessarily because of what Kovac is doing. Yeah, well, I would actually say that most of Bayern's problems are in, I don't know, in in either defense or to a lesser degree sort of like midfield buildup. Mm-hmm. Um, their attack is actually great. Um, they, you know, Lewandowski is scoring I mean, he probably could even score more in some cases. There's there's been some, you know, chances where he's either given up a penalty. He gave gave away one. Um, he gave the ball to Coutinho so he could get his first Bayern goal. He's had some misses, but for the most part, um, Robert Lewandowski, Robert Lewandowski is is killing it at the moment. And truthfully, you know, Serge Gnabry, um, who's played up front or sort of on the wing up front with him for much of the season is also really, really blossoming as a player. I think there's a, there's a real understanding up front. It's just that uh, (laughs) that's really the only bright spot for Bayern. That's the only place where people can look at this team and be like, Oh, this, this really works. It's pretty much everywhere else that things are a little hazy. (laughs) Just everywhere else. That's all. Um, I I wanted to uh, ask one more about Lewandowski for a moment. I read an article uh, for The Athletic by uh, Raphael Honigstein. Yeah, it was was really good. Yeah, it was. But it was really surprising to me because I think of Robert Lewandowski as this just sort of like consummate professional who you can rely on to score goals like clockwork. And I didn't realize that he – sort of had this reputation of being a bit of a selfish striker, a bit of a selfish person at Bayern Munich. Is that something that you also felt? Uh, like, like, were you familiar with that sort of narrative, that he had that reputation and that it seems to be changing now? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That was, I mean, pretty much ever since he got to Bayern, and, and this was very much addressed in, in the course of that article, um, he has sort of flirted with Real Madrid and to a lesser extent, uh, bigger Premier League clubs, you know, especially Manchester United and Chelsea. Um, he sort of always seemed to be angling for a move or you know, at times, 
you could almost set your watch at the you know preseason and midseason every transfer window he would complain that Bayern needed to buy more players and that the the, the the squad wasn't good enough i mean he even did it this season but you know he's he's more or less um confined it to that point rather than the point of oh and and not only that but i might like to go somewhere else um yeah what really seems to have happened is is he's just figured out that that Bayern is going to be his platform, uh, whatever he accomplishes as a player, um, and and yeah, I still think he has a lot to accomplish. I feel like, you know, ever since his huge performance um, for for Borussia Dortmund in that year when they they made it all the way to the Champions League final, that was his big coming out party, like having a, a big game against Real Madrid or a couple of big games really. And people thought he was basically going to become the undisputed, you know, best striker in the world. And really, he's kind of had to share that title with a lot of different people. Um, I feel like the performances he's putting in this season and the fact that um, he really does have a chance to to break the Bundesliga all-time um, goal-scoring record, which is 40 by uh, Gerd Müller back in the 70s. And, you know, the fact that he's already got 13 goals in nine games, if he keeps up that pace, he'll do it. Um, I even think that in some cases, um, as, as I said, they, they, he could have scored um, more goals in certain situations if, if he gets a few lucky bounces. This could be, you know, a, a season for the ages for for Robert Lewandowski, and people could really start recognizing him as the best of the best. All right. Well, let's uh, move on from a club that might need uh, or be in need of a new manager to talk about instead about maybe Borussia Dortmund. Just kidding. They might need one, too. Uh, they're fifth in the Bundesliga table, 16 points from nine games, third in their Champions League group on goal difference. How much more time do you think Lucien Favre will be given this season? That's really tricky uh, because really – because this Bundesliga season has gotten off to such a weird start, I mean, not only is it weird in that neither Bayern nor Dortmund are on top of the table, or not even Leipzig, which is the what most people thought would be the third club with a with a chance, but the crowd at the top is is really really tight. I mean, after match day eight, in fact, there were only you know two points separating the first nine teams in the table. Um, it's sort of opened up a little bit more. I mean, now it's it's four points separating one through eight in the table, but still, a lot of the story is that there is no dominant team, and that um, at, at this point, you know, two point one points per game, which is not a lot uh, in the grand scheme of things, will get you to the top of the table in the Bundesliga. And so there's a, there's still time and there's still the situation for, for Lucien Favre to um, sort of save himself if he can put together a string of good results. But there is just a nagging suspicion that he doesn't really know what to do with this squad. There is a suspicion that he, he you know, he sort of hung on to uh, – a kanji a little bit too long in the center of defense before you know his his uh manuel kanji's uh mistakes began to pile up so much that he had to sort of try something else there's a sense that um he doesn't know exactly who his best partner for axel witzel in the middle of of midfield is there's a sense that he doesn't really know what to do with uh julian brandt which was you know probably dortmund's most heralded signing of the summer who has you know played a lot in europe and as a substitute in the league and really probably deserves a little bit more but you know for whatever reason Favre doesn't know exactly what to do with him there's a sense that he has uh, presided over a team who has uh, shown a propensity to, to throw away leads. So I feel like if results tip poor as opposed to you know tip tip uh, in the right direction, he could actually be seeing, seeing himself out of the job in, in January. And is this a case of like it's not working because uh, Fav plays a specific style or system and he's having trouble like finding the players that bet f- best fit that style, similar to like Maurizio Sarri at Chelsea last season? Or is there just something else entirely going on? Um, I, I'd say there's something else entirely. I mean, Fav does not have a, a really, really, really strong signature style uh, like Sarri does. Um, he is a fairly taxic- tactically flexible uh, coach. But at the same time, he, he also has, as a personality, um, a very sort of, I don't know, inflexible, um, somewhat like overly focused, nerdy uh, quality that he gives off not only to you know the press, but I feel like folks who have worked with him in the past, whether it's players or, or management types, 
describe him as a, as a somewhat um, tricky person to work with. So I would not be surprised if in some ways just, you know, interpersonal issues as well as, as, as um, you know, results might contribute to uh, him, him not lasting all that long at Dortmund. I mean, I could be totally wrong. He, he has so many good players at his disposal. Um, there is very much room for this to turn around for Dortmund, but it, it hasn't quite done so yet. So right now, Dortmund sitting uh, fifth in the table. Uh, ahead of them would be Freiburg in third, Wolfsburg in fourth. Those are two teams who I don't believe we thought would be uh, in those top four places uh, when we last spoke. So I wanted to hear a bit about how they've been able to get to this point and how likely they are to stay there. Um, I would say Freiburg. Um, I, I, you know, I have a lot of time for Freiburg. I think it's a really cool club. It's one of um, sort of the smaller clubs in Germany or smaller, smaller sort of financial means, uh, shall we say. They are actually so small that <laughs> they had a, a court decision go against them last week um, oh, saying that they're building a new stadium. And, you know, as things stand presently, they won't be able to play uh, midweek games or games too early on Sunday because there's a law in Germany, you know, saying you have to have a peace and quiet for, for certain hours of the day on Sunday. And they're just really small time. And it's really cool that they're doing well. And it's really cool that their coach, Christian Streich, who's very sort of outspoken, you know, woke, uh, <laughs> teacherly kind of guy is doing well. But Really, I have to be honest, I think most of their success this early season has to do with um, a week schedule that they have had. I mean, I think that they – I mean, you look at the the teams that they've faced so far. Um, they've played Mainz. They've played uh, Paderborn. They've played Cologne, although they lost to them. They beat Hoffenheim before Hoffenheim turned around. They only drew against Augsburg, who are not a very good team. But they, they beat Dusseldorf, who were bad. I think things are going to turn around pretty quick for uh, Freiburg. I mean, they did surprise me this past weekend by beating Leipzig, um, and, and I have to give them credit for that. But I think uh, I think things are, are not going to go their favor in, in the near future. And would that be the same for Wolfsburg as well? Um, no, I, I think they're a little oh. bit – Sorry, my dog is, uh, is, <laughs> has become a little bit agitated. She really wants to go outside. I'm going to have to ignore her. She has strong feelings about Wolfsburg, I'm assuming. She does. Well, she doesn't like dogs that resemble wolves. She actually has problems with uh, German shepherds and huskies and stuff. So maybe just the conversation. <laughs> That's what I'm thinking. Sort of, sort of stirred her up a little bit. If we need to move swif- swiftly on, we can. It's all good. It's all good. <laughs> uh, no, Wolfsburg, I think, are actually a bit more stable. I would not be surprised to see them stick around in the running for uh, European places as as this season wears on, mostly because I just think they have much, much better players, and they have a coach who seems to have come up with, with uh, a plan that, that fits those players. I mean, they, it's, a, it's a very, very um, defensively oriented game plan. Um, and, and it's paid off hugely so far. I mean, they've they, they have conceded five goals, which is by leaps and bounds the best uh, defense in the league. They have yet to lose a match, and you know I don't find them all that fun to watch. But uh, they do have a, a few really really nice players. I mean, Vout Vekhorst, their their striker, is is a lot of fun. He's a a big guy who can actually you know use the ball pretty well and move. And I, I think you know Jérôme Roussillon, despite the fact he's having kind of a, a, a funny season right now, is is a, a fun player to watch. Josip Brekalo. but I think uh, I think that they have a much better chance of sticking around toward the top of the table than 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 Freiburg do. And, and again, going back to the American perspective for a moment, uh, John Brooks, obviously with Wolfsburg, but has been dealing with injuries, hasn't played as many games as maybe we would have liked to have seen so far. How involved has he been and how involved do you expect him to be going forward? As in, is there a chance that he gets replaced if he remains sort of inconsistent with his injuries? Uh, no, no. I, th- I think in that he is um – I think he's a really solid defender, not only in terms of his his physicality and his ability to sort of mark other players out of the game, but he also is somebody who I think actually is going to add another dimension to Wolfsburg. I mean, they rely a lot on their on their central defenders to you know start um, start their build up, and, and John Brooks is somebody who I think does that very very well. He was out for I don't know what here five games. He's he. You know, started the first three games and played well. He was out for five games. He's back. He played well. I have no reason to think that he's not going to, 
you know, keep his place in this team. And, and as long as he stays healthy, that'll be a really good platform for him and for, for the, the USMNT. Hey, everybody, this is Taylor jumping in one more time to remind you that today's episode is brought to you by our friends at Talisman Caps. Talisman Caps are the makers of high-end, quality-made caps and gear to help you support and celebrate your football club. They've got a few new offerings uh, for those of you who uh, are frequent checkers of Talisman. They've got some updates, including five-panel hats. We've talked about the six-panel hats previously. Now there are five-panel ones, uh, mostly Premier League teams uh, as of now. You've got a Red Devils one, a Blue Lion one, a Spurs one, and a Liverpool one, all of them available in the five-panel format. Uh, another new offering from Talisman would be pins. They've got pins inspired by classic jerseys or the classic patterns of jerseys, uh, including 1990 uh, Manchester United and 1989 Liverpool, USA 94, and there's even a, a great El Tree one, which I cannot bring myself to buy until the United States uh, beats Mexico in some level of soccer, and then I feel better about things. If you want to feel better about your vintage Germany collection, uh, you could go to their vintage vault, where they've got lots of different uh, jerseys from the past, not just from the Bundesliga, but elsewhere, but for purposes of today's show, they've got a 1994-1995 Kaiserslautern red Adidas home jersey, there's a blue and white Nike home jersey from Hertha Berlin from 1999, and a lovely Dortmund 96 long sleeve black and yellow home jersey with the puffy sleeves that are emblematic of that like mid to late 90s era, the nice puffy, big sleeves, bright yellow, it's a great jersey, available at the Vintage Vault, and uh, because Talisman are lovely, lovely folks. They will also help you out with a discount. You can get 10% off uh, with a minimum purchase of $35, which is the price of one hat, when you use the promo code TOTALSOCCER10. One more time, that's 10% off with the discount code TOTALSOCCER10 at talismancaps.com. A link will be in the show notes for that offer. We very much appreciate that offer. We very much appreciate Talisman Caps for sponsoring today's episode. And with all that said, back one more time to my conversation with Matt Herman. All right. Was well, so far so far. I feel slightly better about the uh, the USMNT, uh, at least the players in the Bundesliga. Let's see if that keeps going as we talk about Schalke, because lately, uh, like uh, similar to the Dortmund Bayern Munich narrative, seeming to be like, yeah, they're winning, but like maybe the managers aren't impressing us so much. The narrative with Schalke seems to be like David Wagner is doing about as good of a, a job as he could be, and let's just wait until he finally gets some good players in in the window, and like once they revamp the whole squad, he'll be good to go, and that kind of has me a little bit nervous because I guess I find myself wondering if Weston McKinney, who seems to have become a key figure for David Wagner, I can't tell if that's because David Wagner thinks he's very good and enjoys what Weston McKinney brings or because Weston McKinney is good enough right now but maybe won't be down the road. Um, I'm definitely leaning towards the former. Um, David Wagner seems to have a um, – he seems to have a lot of time for uh, Weston McKinney okay. and, and in a lot of ways – Weston is is a player that that sort of fits what Wagner likes to do to a T. I mean, the thing that has turned things around for Schalke this season has been uh, their hugely effective press. Um, they have caused problems for just about every team that they've played with their pressing. I, I mean, I, I know that they did for to to Dortmund. I know they did to Bayern. They did to my team, Hertha. Um, they just make it really hard for teams to to build up in their preferred way because, you know, they just – I feel like they figured out both in, in positionally and with their personnel how to start a press and how to just sort of get opposing teams off balance quickly. Um, if there is a criticism that I think is, is pretty valid uh, is that in some ways uh, he might be – too into pressing. Um, for example, they have a, a striker named Guido Burgstaller who really just is a – there's a word in, in German called Schanzentod, which basically means uh, uh, the death of a chance. Um, <laughs> and he is described <laughs> very aptly as, as a Schanzentod. Um, he basically manages to mess up um, a lot of, of seemingly promising attacks um, because he's just not very good at actually putting the ball in the back of that. He goes through streaks. He's in one of the longer, usually, streaks that he has not scoring. But David Wagner really likes him because he's really good at pressing. He's really good at sort of being the tip of the spear. Um, as far as how that works for Weston McKenney, I think as long as this team sort of, you know, emphasizes that style, you know, 
we all know what a runner he is. We all know that he understands, you know, how to sort of apply a cover shadow. We all know that he is somebody who sort of likes to sort of get the ball and, and push it forward pretty quickly. And that's somebody that, that is always going to have a place in a, in a David Wagner team. Um, at the moment, I feel like he's in good company. They sort of have a nice thing going with, with, uh, their holding midfielder, uh, Mascaray and, and, putting two eights in front of him. Sometimes it's McKenney as one of them and, and, um, Swat Serdar as the other. Um, sometimes he'll go a different direction and, and maybe put Caligiri in, in one of those, those spots. But I, I definitely think McKenney's going to play a lot for David Wagner. And do you think that, uh, Schalke will go out and reinforce up top? Uh, or where do you expect them to strengthen the most either in January or sometime this summer? Uh, because you mentioned Briolembolo, uh, earlier. He left them this summer. I think they got rid of a few more other attacking options. So I'm wondering if that's where they'll be looking or, or maybe it will be other positions that need strengthening. Um, yeah, I definitely think that, that finding somebody who actually can score goals consistently is going to be really, really important for them. It's been a weird long road for Schalke in, in that department. I mean, they've taken a lot of swings in the last several years. I mean, Braille Embolo was the guy who they were really putting a lot of, of hope into for a while. He spent most of his time there injured and or out of form. Um, you know, Mark Ut was last year's big swing for the fences. He had had a huge season for Hoffenheim the year before and then did – little to nothing for Schalke last season and, and for whatever reason can't seem to get him his way back into the, 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 the side under Wagner. I definitely think that <laughs> that's the place where they need to, uh, where they need to strengthen the most. I mean, I think if, if there was another spot that they need, I mean, Arit is, is probably the only player who they have who can sort of play in the hole slash play as, as a, something of a 10 slash wing striker who, who adds a lot uh, of creativity. They were hoping for a bit more from Benito Raman who came in from, from Dusseldorf um, this summer. Maybe it's just going to take a little time. I mean, I mean, Arit is already showing signs of becoming a much better, more consistent player. He's a super exciting player, plays a lot of dangerous balls, dribbles a lot, takes a lot of bad long shots but sometimes uh sometimes his his audacious ideas come through hugely as when he you know scored a crazy Travella goal from the right wing uh, that'll work a few weeks ago all right uh so Schalke currently seventh on 15 points uh one place ahead of them would be Leipzig I think just ahead of them on goal difference if you were giving Leipzig like a letter grade at this point in the season what would they be for you because they are still what only four points off of uh first place so maybe their place in the table is a bit a little bit misleading but I would also assume then that we haven't seen quite the consistency in the results that maybe we would have expected yeah yeah I would say that's fair um I think that uh, Leipzig probably they probably get a B. I mean, it's it's a strong, solid B. Maybe even on the on the cusp of B plus. It's been the last couple of weeks of of less good results. Let's just say in the league. I mean, they basically, you know, started off like a house on fire. They were on the top of the league. They you know played Bayern to a draw. Um, in, in the middle of September. And ever since then, I mean, they got one win over Bremen, but they've lost to Schalke and they deserve to lose uh, despite the fact that, that, you know, they came into that match as favorites. They've drawn Leverkusen. They've drawn Wolfsburg. They've lost to Freiburg. They just kind of have gone off the boil a little bit. Um, I think that in some ways, if you, if you sort of noticed who I was talking about having them having played, those are really hard games. Mm-hmm. Those are some of the best teams in the league. And things are going to get a lot easier in the coming weeks. They have Mainz, they have Hertha, they have Cologne, they have Paderborn. Um, I would not be surprised to see them, you know, get back up into the thick of the title race very soon. And I, I don't think that they have very many fundamental problems um, with the way that their, their their team is functioning. I think that they're also going to benefit a lot from when Tyler Adams gets back. You I mean, have anticipated my next question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And hit me with it. Well, it was, it was basically just going to be like, what do they need to improve uh, overall, and why is the answer Tyler Adams? But yeah, essentially, I'm wondering where you think he fits in, and what you th- like, what he will bring to this squad. Um, I just think he's going to be an upgrade in in central midfield. Um, they have had, uh, or, or you know, Julian Nagelsmann is how he's sort of finding. Um, 
where he wants to to put guys in the center center of midfield. Um, he's been forced to sort of lean on uh, on Diego Dema uh, quite a lot, and and there's nothing against Diego Dema. He's been you know he's their longest serving player. He's the guy who's been there from you know their rise from the from the the, the regional leagues all the way up to the Bundesliga. He's you know a perfectly serviceable player, but. He does not sort of stand out as a guy who you necessarily want to be mopping things up in central midfield if you are a team who wants to be playing at the Champions League level. And and Tyler Adams is just a little bit better. Um, he both brings a little bit more speed to the table. He brings a little bit, um, you know, sort of uh, security with the ball. I, I just think that uh, that they're going to have a lot more um, success in turning the ball from defense to attack uh, with Tyler Adams in the lineup, even if he's not going to be a a day in day out player for a little while as they sort of try and bring him back in from, from this long-term injury. Do you think he is like, uh, if everybody is fit, if everybody is ready to go, do you think he is sort of in that starting 11 or is he still a, a bench player for Nagelsmann? Nagelsmann. Um, I think he's probably, I would be, I would be surprised if he was a, you know, locked on starter mm-hmm. in the very near future because I think that they probably, you know, they've had a really long and and sort of bumpy road bringing him back from this from this injury. They've had a lot of different sort of things go wrong. So I don't think that they'll want to have another setback, but um I would say I don't know, by February, by like they're they're finished with the winter break and they've got a few games under their belt. I would be real surprised if he wasn't first choice. I think he, I think he he does what this team wants him to do very very well. Um, I don't want to take up too much more of your time because you are you have already been very generous. You are always very generous with your time, but I did want to ask you about that uh, Dusseldorf Köln uh, game. What is the significance of that rivalry, and who should we be paying attention to from those two teams? Oh, um, hmm. I mean, the rivalry is basically it, it, it's less to do with those two clubs specifically because let's face it cologne in in the grand scheme of things is a much bigger club than is fortuna dusseldorf um they have found themselves in the same division a fair bit as you know cologne has hit hard times and as 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 dusseldorf has sort of risen from the ashes they took a a real bad beat and went all the way down to the regional leagues for a while, but they're, they're, they're getting their, their act together, but it's more just the the rivalry between those two cities. Um, they're quite close together. You can take a train from one to the other in you know, 45 minutes. Mm-hmm. And they both see themselves as like the center of things in that region of Germany in Western Germany. Um, Dusseldorf happens to be the capital of the state that they're both in, you know, North Rhine, Westphalia, but, Cologne is the bigger city. Cologne is probably the more culturally significant city. Um, you know, it's it's uh, it's Cannes versus Kraftwerk, uh, if you want to put it in in Krautrock <laughs> terms. Um, it's uh, you know, <laughs> that's outstanding. <laughs> it's it's also they they they're both really into a uh, carnival culture. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, carnival, which, which a lot of folks outside of Germany don't really understand. In Western Germany, is this all-consuming thing much as it is in like Venice or in, in Brazil or something like that. And both of those cities pride themselves as being like a center of carnival. And a lot of times people in those cities like don't even like to say the name of the other city or like to sort of, you know, any chance they get, cut it down to size in any way that they can. So there's the clubs. I wouldn't say that it's like a blood rivalry in the same way that Cologne and say Gladbach uh, have a blood rivalry, but just the two cities like, hate each other and you're gonna probably get a really fun time if you go to that game all right and and so i i know this is like an amateur question but i'm an amateur when it comes to the bundesliga i keep calling them cologne because i thought i wasn't supposed to call it cologne is it cologne is that the better way to pronounce it oh you know i mean it, it's hard like i you actually need to say if you're going to try and say it correctly oh you say Kern. Uh, um, yeah. <laughs> so it, it's one of those weird, um, you know, umlautized vowels that um, is kind of hard to to make if you're just speaking fluid English. Um, so Köln is is definitely not right. Köln <laughs> is right. Cologne, if you're speaking English, is just easier to say. Okay. So I often find myself saying um, find myself saying Cologne. I mean, if I'm if I'm feeling froggy, I say Este FT Köln. Oh, um, wow. If I want to get the 
the whole the whole name out there. Um, but yeah, I, I I I'm lazy a lot of the time, so I just say Cologne. <laughs> All right, I'm just gonna yell Cologne. That that's that's my plan. That's my plan. Actually, I'm just gonna cheer for Dusseldorf. That's my plan. That would be easier, I guess, than having to say the other city's name. Well, one of the one also Cologne is is also very open to like different names for their city. I mean, the the, the name, the Roman name for for the city, and in fact, it was a Roman outpost, and that there's a, they're very proud of their Roman heritage was Colonia. Um, so all the names that sort of stem from that name are where you get Cologne, where you get Cologne, where you get any other variation, and even like the club song, one of the songs that people sing at carnival or sing at, in uh, you know various contexts around the club is called Viva Cologne. So, you know, if you say Cologne or Colonia or Cologne, they all know what you mean. As long as you have a, a glass of, of Koch in your hand, they're going to say hurrah. It has been a very long time since I took Latin, I would say since high school. Uh, but I feel like there's a decent chance that uh, Colonia in Latin is colony. Like they're proud of just being called a colony. Is that essentially it? Yeah, yeah. Well, right. you know, if if you're if you're the colony, there we go. All that, right, that, that was named colony. Maybe you're the the biggest best. You're colony the there. colony. There we go. Hell yeah! <laughs> All right. Well, on that note, Matt, thank you very much uh, for taking the time and for uh, ignoring your dog. I don't want to make you do that anymore, so I will let you go. But if people want to hear more from you or uh, find more from you, how can they do so? Yeah, I am Mr. Matt Herman on Twitter. And my podcast is Talking Foosball, Talking Foosball it's on Twitter good. or, you know, TalkingFoosball.com. We come out um, every week with a match day wrap and we set up uh, each match day before it comes out with uh, a sort of fantasy, Bundesliga Fantasy League uh, bet to our podcast on Talking Foosball Fantasy. It's, it's a lot of fun. It is indeed. And I always enjoy listening and I always enjoy having you on the show. So, Matt, thank you one more time. Awesome. I love to be on. Awesome.